Turning to the book of Judges this morning and chapter 5. And then we're going to Judges chapter 3. And in each chapter we're reading one verse. Judges chapter 5 and verse 6. Chapter 5 and verse 6. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied and the travelers walked through byways. Judges chapter 3 and verse 31 is our last verse. Judges chapter 3 and the last verse. Verse 31. And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. We know that the Lord will Bless the reading of his own word this morning. For the next three Lord's Day mornings, God willing, I want to call your attention to a text. You needn't turn to it. It's found in the fourth chapter of Zechariah and verse 10. And it's this. For who has despised the day of small things? For who has despised the day of small things? The Bible has much to say about small and little things. Little insignificant things in the eyes of man, they Foolish, maybe, and base, and uh, of no importance. But in the eyes of God, in the hand of God, in the will of God, they have and always will accomplish great things. In Exodus chapter 10, you read about the little manna. The Bible says it was a small, round, white thing, but it's fed two million people every morning for 40 years. A beautiful type of our Lord Jesus Christ, white in purity, round in eternality, sent at night to the ground speaking of his humility. Just a small, round wafer. Then we have the little, not little manna, but the little maid. And the great Naaman brought back from one of his battles the, the, the Syrian maid, and uh, she was a servant to Naaman's wife and witnessed to him regarding his leprosy, saw him healed, and maybe thousands of others as a result. 
And then in Isaiah 47, we read about a little moment. It says, God, for a small moment, for a small moment, God says, have I forsaken thee? But with great mercies, I will gather thee. And maybe there's someone this morning and you're battling and think that God's gone and he's forsaken you and there's nothing happening. He says, it's just a little moment. But with great mercies, I will come to thee and gather thee. And then there's not only the little man and the little maid and the little moment, the little means, the widow of Elisha, what have you got in your house? She your hand made us nothing, just a little pot of oil. And then in James chapter 3, we read of a little member, the tongue, defileth the whole body and sets the world on fire. But it's not the little man or the little maid or the little moment or the little means or the little member that we're after in these three Sunday mornings. It's the little members. You see, we're all members of the body of Christ. Paul speaks about the leg, one being the arm and the eye. And that's the body of the church that's made up, metaphorically. Last year I did a series on unwrapping our spiritual gifts. And I pointed out that every believer, the moment that they're born again, and even before it, because we're predestinated, God has given gifts. Some one gift, some two gifts, some three gifts, maybe more. But to every one he has given a gift. And God has given you a gift. And I believe that many of God's people don't really know for they've never sought to find out what their gifts are. I didn't see much results from the preaching on those nights, I must say, on the spiritual gifts. But I remind you this morning that at the judgment seat of Christ, we will give an account. We'll give an account for every deed done in the body, every word spoken in the closet, every gift that was bestowed upon us that we didn't use. And so I would ask you this morning again, believer, if you claim to be saved, it's time you go down before God and ask Him to show you the gift that He has given to you and then utilize it. Because otherwise the body is sick. Can't function. An assembly of God's people cannot function unless everybody's operating. If you have a sore leg, you limp. If you have one eye, it puts strain on the other eye. And on it goes. And unless the body, we're all members in particular, unless the body is functioning in the proper way, We'll not survive. Now, in, in this book of Judges, we have 13 men and women. And listen to me very carefully. And I can't guarantee this morning that I'll be finished at 12 o'clock. I may, and I may not. The Lord has laid this message very heavy upon my heart. 
In this book of Judges, we have 13 men and women who over a period of 350 years from Joshua, from the end of Joshua's ministry to the beginning of Saul's ministry who ruled and reigned over the nation of Israel. There's the big boys and the wee boys. There were those who had a household name, there were those who were not. There were those who wrought great victories, there were those who didn't win great victories. And I say that I would say that most of you this morning probably would get no more than four of the judges. Well, there's 13 of them. And I would say that you'd probably head off with Gideon and Samson and Jephthah, maybe and Deborah. But there's another nine. And out of these nine, I am lifting three out in the will of God, and I'm going to furnish this text from these three, one each morning. Despising, we despise not the day of small things. Now, before we look at the character this morning that we're going to speak on, let me put the story into context by saying a word about this book of Judges. Sometimes it's called, it's a very neglected book. Sometimes it's called the cycle of the judges. Four times it tells us that there was no king in Israel in these days, and the people did that which was right in their own eyes. It was the same when we come into the book of Ruth. I want to say there's few periods in the history of Israel, and I don't think there's any that applies to the last days in which we live as the book of Judges. You read it and study it and go through it and you'll discover there was wars and famines. There was murder and gang rape. There was adultery and sodomy and child abuse. There was assassinations and conspiracy, family feuds and kidnapping. What an up-to-date book this is in the days in which we live. And can I say that iniquity always abounds and comes to the head where there's no godly leadership. Moses and Joshua were gone. Joshua led them into the land and told them now, this is the land that God has given you. Fight for it. But they didn't do that in the way that they should have. So the cycles began. Probably eight cycles altogether. And if you read it, you'll discover that they went into great sin. And then they went into servitude. When, when you go into sin, you go into bondage. And then they went into servitude. Sometimes for 40 years, sometimes for 18 years, 20 years, 7 years. And then after the sin and after the, sol- after the servitude and the slavery was the supplication. They cried unto God. And God in His grace every time heard their cry. My, that thrills my soul. That when we sin and when we fail and when we fall time and time again and cry unto God in repentance, He comes. Glory to His lovely name. And then there was salvation. God moved in, and in answer to the desperate prayer, he rose up a man and one time a woman. 
up and down, seven, eight time cycles. And that's the way it went. And he delivered them sometimes for 40 years, sometimes 80 years, sometimes 20 years, and sometimes only three years. And these judges were all from different backgrounds. There were warriors, and there were diplomats, and there were farmers, and there was all sorts. And they headed, all of them faced seven nations at different times. The Mesopotamians, the Moabites, the Midianites, the Ammonites, the Amalekites, the Canaanites, the Philistines. Israel was never, never without enemies. And she's not without them today. Now the first judge was Othniel, married to Caleb's daughter. And it says, and let me, let me get this over to you this morning. It says, it says in these days, in these times, God raised up. It was God raised up the man. It was, they weren't selected, they weren't voted in, they weren't called in by some com, com, committee. It was God raised up a man. And every time when they cried unto God in his mercy and his grace, when these Canaanites and Moabites and Midianites had them almost slaughtered, they cried to God. But then when things got better, they went on, just like we do, and everything was well. God raised up a man and had a man there every time, or a woman, on one occasion. When there's no men, God will use women. He'll use men first. And then after Othniel, he was a soldier, this Othniel, a mighty warrior, and uh, he faced the Mesopotamian, and for eight years of bondage, he freed the people. And then secondly came Ehud, he was a diplomat. Read the story, very interesting, he's a very shrewd man, Ehud, he kept, he was left-handed, he kept a dagger, he, he kept a dagger under his skirt, under his cloak. Rammed it through the king and blew the trumpet and called victory. And he was a diplomat in many ways. And after 18 years of slavery and bondage, he released the people for 80 years. And then when you go into chapter 4, you have Deborah and Barak, and they faced the Canaanites. But sandwiched in between these four great judges and leaders, in verse 31, and it says this, and after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. The title for my message this morning is Shamgar, the man from nowhere. Shamgar, the man from nowhere. Like a flash, he comes in on the scene, and he goes as quick. We know nothing about him, only his name in these two verses. Scholars don't even know what the son of Anath means. Some think it's his father. Some think it's his mother. Some think it's the place from where he come from. A number of commentaries on the book of Judges never mention him at all. But he's here. And God, the Holy Spirit, mentions him. And we're going to speak to you on him this morning. Shamgar. Let that name ring in your ear. Shamgar. 
Let it ring in your ears all week. Now, the first thing you say, what are we going to preach? Well, we have more than enough time to preach on. What do you think? What's the first thing we see about Shamgar? I say there's the threat that Shamgar saw. Because it was the time the Philistines invaded. And this is the first time that we read of the counter with the Philistines in the book of Judges. They come back with Samson. They come back again with Saul. They come back again with David. The enemy doesn't give in easy. But this is the first appearance in the book of Judges. These Philistines came across from Egypt. And they occupied the West Bank. And let me tell you, the name Palestine is the name that comes from Philistine. And they're still occupying the West Bank. And we mustn't go down that road this morning. We know that this was the area that Shamgar was working. He was just a farmer. How do you know that? Well, I'll tell you in a minute. He was just a farmer or a farm laborer or a plowman. He was in the fields. He hadn't the warrior skills of Othniel. He hadn't the talents of Ehud. He hadn't the faith of Deborah. He hadn't the power of Samson. But he was his own man in his own corner, minding his own business at God's time. All probabilities this man couldn't read or couldn't write. He was just doing an honest day's work, content to be anonymous. I tell you, you'd never get the lack of the Shamgar onto a pulpit. You'd never get the lack of Shamgar to write anything. He'd have probably duked when you went to speak to him. He was just a country man, young man working in the fields. In all probability, he saw what was happening. And he saw the men and the women darting through the fields because the highways were blocked. Didn't you read that? The Philistines had blocked the roads. And they had stopped the people from going to the markets. They had stopped the people from going to their families. They had stopped the people from going to their worship. So they had to duke in round the fields and in round the hedgerows. And it's here I believe that this man, it's here I believe that this man saw them. The Philippines had surrounded the houses. The Philistines had surrounded the houses. They had killed the children. They had raped their women. They had disarmed their troops. And if you read the history of it, there's only one sword for 40,000 men. And they took away the farming, confiscated the farming implements. It was just like the Nazi invasion of Poland. Or when they marched into Guernsey or Jersey. And everything went under subjection to them. 
And this man's out there in the fields and he sees what's happening. Let me say a wee word about the Philistines before I go on. Let me say this, the land didn't belong to them. Nor does it belong to them today. And let me tell you, Netanyahu, the head of Israel, has a right to fight and always fight for the land. The land has to be fought for. This crowd wandered in from Egypt. And they just wandered in and dominated and took over and dictated and took over. They didn't come through the blood of the Lamb. They didn't come through the Red Sea. They didn't experience the manna or the quails. It was God's land. And it's the job of them to drive them out. We must not tolerate the enemy in our midst, my friends. We must stand our ground and we must fight. And we have a greater weapon than this man had, which I'll show you in a minute. It tells so much about him. This crowd degraded, demoralized, dominated them with an iron fist. Worst of all, they set up false gods and commanded that they'd worship them. You see, the Philistine threat this morning is not only in national Israel, uh, it's in spiritual Israel, it's in the church. The Philistines all around us this morning are dictating to us and telling us what to do. They're dominating our way of life. They're taken into the things that God has given to us and taken them off us. And we're supposed to bow down to them. We're supposed to surrender and capitulate to the uncircumcised, ungodly, immoral authorities of our day. And many are. Open your mouth and declare the gospel in all its entirety and power. Preach the blood of the cross. Preach repentance on the streets and they'll silence you and arrest you as they did with that fellow in London a week or two ago. Mrs. May opened up the question time last Wednesday. I heard her by asking the nation to remember the Ramadan. And then she went on after that and remember some special occasion the sheiks were having. Stand against transgenderism and sodomites and same-sex marriage. You're biased. You're homophobic. You're racist. That's the spirit of the age. That's the spirit of Antichrist. That's the spirit of the Philistines. Taken over. When we try to defend our children in the schools and colleges from evil and from immoral practices, they take us to court. And as they did with a woman in England, took the child away from her because she wouldn't let her go to school to be taught such things. And I want to say this this morning. If the threat to, if the threat to society and the church and the family was ever at red alert, and if only we could waken up, if only we could realize how subtle, how evil the spirit of the Antichrist is working 
We need shamgars. We need people to stand. As in the last days, this was the day of the individual. There was no big crowd. God was looking for a man here and a man there and anybody that would stand. I want to say this very lovingly this morning, but I want to say it very powerfully. Those for years that we looked up to and admired, those who were the flagship of truth and morality in our province, those who blasted out the old fundamentals of the faith, those who told us to flee from apostates and prelates, those who told us to placard against sodomites, now seem to think they can do business with them. Now I hear someone saying to me this morning, that's not your business. Well then you know absolutely nothing about the word of God and shut your mouth. If it's not the business of the pulpit to warn when the enemy comes, what is the business of the pulpit to be? The thief has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. Do we stand back? Do we join with them? Do we agree with them? Or do we fight? There's sheep farmers in this place this morning. And if you heard a racket at two or three o'clock in the morning and you went out and there was dogs small in your sheep, you have a legal right to shoot that dog. Do you think you'd lie on in bed? Do you think you'd take photographs of them mauling your sheep? Well, here A.W. Tozer says this. When the sheep is in danger, the shepherd is morally obliged to grab a weapon and run to their defense. And once we allow the Philistines to take the truth and plaster the truth and demoralize us, and get us to agree with them. It's all over. There was a threat that Shangar saw. Now here, there was the tool that Shangar had. President Roosevelt at the end of the Second World War says this, do what you can with what you got where you are. Now this is a message of rallying this morning. And God must feel that some of them needs it. Do what you can with what you've got where you are. What had this man? He had an ox goat. That's all that he had. What is an ox goat? Well, it's eight foot long. It has a sharp point at one end to it for the, for the oxen when they were plowing and when they were working with them, that they were lying back in layers and he had to give them a job. The other end of it, when you turned it around, it was like a turf spade. He used it for cleaning the plough. He used it when the, when the plough would get all stuck up with dirt. He'd shake the, he'd, he'd, he'd shave the plough, the stuff off it, and he'd break up the ground that got hard with it. That's all that he had. That's what tells me he was a ploughman. That's what tells me he was a farmer. Let 
Let me say a wee word about this man as we go on to finish this morning. He started where he was. He, he saw the situation. He saw what was going on. He saw the mighty Philistines. He saw what was happening. He saw that there was nobody coming to the aid of the people. He started where he was. He didn't say, I wish I was a Nathaniel. He didn't say, I wish I was a Nehud. I wish I was a Joshua or a Moses. He didn't go back and start looking at the past and saying, I wish I'd have done that or I wish I'd done the other thing. It's too late now. My friend is not. He didn't save only I had education. He didn't say, if only I had a sword, if only I had a spear, or if only I had time. Nor did he say, we'll arrange a conference and we'll get a meeting and we'll meet with these people. Neither did he call a night of prayer. He says, we must do what our fathers did. We must do what our forefathers did. We must do what God told us to do. Fight! Put on the whole armor of God. Fight. Take the gift that is given you where you are and use it. Can I say to some of you younger people, some of the old people have missed it, they've lost it altogether. No vision, no burden, no passion, no longing, no hunger. But I'm appealing to some of you younger people this morning with all that I can possess. We need shamgars. Don't wait till the sell by date. Don't wait until it's too late. If you let milk sit, it'll go sour. If you let your dinner sit, it'll go cold. If you let your car sit, you'll have to. For a long time, you'll not get it started. And as Dick Shaw on his 100th birthday over there held up his arm and said, if you don't use it, you lose it. If you hold it up so, for, for so long, you'll not get it down. If you don't use it, you lose it. Tell me, are you content and happy this morning that you're utilizing the gift that God has given to you? Are you a shamgar? Am I a shamgar this morning? Do we see what's happening around us and do we stand? Are we concerned? Are we burdened? We need to stir up the gift. This man knew what God could do because he would have known about Joshua. He would have known about Moses. He would have known about the Red Sea. He would have known about the man on the quays in the Jordan. And that old blood man, patriotic blood began to boil in him when he saw the enemy taken over. They had no right to his children. They had no right to his family. They had no right to the land. And he lifted what he had. The ox goat. And he squared his shoulders. 
And he says, I'll do what I can. He abandoned the plough. He left the auction. He probably said goodbye to any family he had. And the Holy Spirit says he slew 6,000 Philistines. Now he wouldn't have done that in a day. And he mightn't have done it in 10 days. But he done it. He done it. He rallied to the battle cry of God. He did what he could with what he had got where he was. Are you going to catch a vision this morning? Are we going to stand and fight and pray this morning? God has put you into this place and into this house. You claim this to be your church. Well, can I say this with all the love in my heart this morning? And I, I think you know me well enough now. Tell me, if the Lord once has gifted you to be a deacon or an elder, you can't be if you're not in membership. How will it be when you go to the judgment seat of Christ? And when he said that we fellowship down at the moor, you know, we're, we're struggling. And God knows we are struggling for leadership. And I spoke to you many today through the preacher and through other things about rallying to the call and standing your ground and putting your weight in behind it, but you didn't do it. You didn't do it. Where there's no vision, the people perish. We need to put God first before the family, before the business, before the career, before the hobby, before the relationship, before the exams. You can't have two visions. And once you surrender all to God, then he'll look after the other thing. You can't have two visions. Two visions is division. You cannot serve God and man. I have known people in this province, my, tell you who had a vision for God, but then the devil gives them another vision. And that was division. God will not put up with that. He'll not put up with that. He wants all or nothing. He wants you to be a sham guard, just stay in the plough and say, somebody else can do it, I'll just work under the Philistines and do no harm. All right. Well, when you come down to the end of Judges, you'll see that every cycle has got worse and has got worse and has got worse until you come down to the last three chapters of sodomy and rape. And it's getting worse. And righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people where there's no godly leadership. It's a continual going down. Division. If there's two visions. 
threat that he had, the tool that he, threat that he saw, the tool that he had, and lastly, the testimony that he left. He also delivered Israel. I love that. I, I put a big line under the also. <laughs> God has him up there with the big boys. <laughs> he did as much as Athenel, Ath, Athenel. He did as much as you had. He did as much as Gideon. He did as much as Jephthah. And he did more than Samson did. Because Samson didn't deliver them. They delivered him. He cruised with them and dined with them and whined with them until he put put his eyes out. Always away before Samson, this boy. Didn't teach our children in Sunday school about him. Sure we didn't. These meetings, these three Sunday mornings are for the Man or the woman who thinks they're no good, who thinks they're no use, who thinks it's too late, who thinks they can do nothing, my, get that out of your mind and heart and I'll put it out. And you're as valuable to God, my friend, this morning than the greatest preacher that ever lived. God didn't gift you to stand here. Or stand in the open air, maybe. But he gave you a gift to furnish and to keep the body moving. Maybe it's just a little toe. There's a fellow down in from man I visit his mother and visit him too. He's lost all the toes on his right foot and now on his left foot. He can't walk. And when he had lost one toe, He became unbalanced. The testimony that he had. Who will despise the day of small things? He delivered also Israel. Nine years Last week, this building was opened. And the placard there, 7th of May, 2010, and underneath it is, set for the defense of the gospel. Do you know that word is a wonderful word, and it's used in Judges too for deliverance. It's set you can read it like it's set for the delivering of the gospel. But not only does it mean set for the delivering of the gospel, it's set for delivering souls from bondage through the gospel. That needs to be the testimony of this house. We need to see deliverances. Now you say, why should I stand and fight and preach and pray that souls might be delivered? Well, you have a bounden duty, my friend, to take the ox goad, to take what you have, where you are, now at this moment, and fight 
for the Lord and for his cause and for his work in whatever way you can do it. Why? Because he fought for you. Why? Because he delivered you. Listen. He was delivered for our offenses and raised for our justification. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son? Who hath delivered us from the wrath to come? Him. And not with an ox goad, not with a jawbone, not with a sling, with the cross. Not in vengeance against the enemies, but in love. Oh, despised and rejected of man. What did they think when they saw him in the manger? A wee thing of span's length. No, the power of Rome working around him is nothing. What is this? Despised and rejected of man. But he came to deliver. And through that old despised cross between the thieves, Christ died for our sins to set us free, to save us, to bring us into his kingdom, and to use us for his name's sake. Let him use you this morning. Let him take you this morning. Say, Lord, I haven't much but what I have. I'm not much but what I have. I'm going to wholeheartedly give it to you. I'm going to do what I can with what I've got, where I am in this late hour. And God will hear the prayer and answer a cry.